Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Mick West. Hey. Mick, please, for everyone out there listening who doesn't know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a former video game programmer. I used to be well known for uh, uh, the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater video games, uh, which I did back in the 90s. That's a long time ago, obviously, now. I retired from the industry a while back. Uh, and now what I've been doing a lot is... Um, debunking i guess is the the best term for it investigating strange claims and uh, trying to figure out what's going on i look into things like chemtrails like um uh conspiracy theories like 9-11 moon landing hoax even flat earth things like that and uh, recently i've been doing a lot of investigating of ufo videos well first of all thank you for the tony hawk games because they were a staple of my childhood um but with the conspiracies i i heard you mention the chemtrail ones before saying that it's kind of like the training wheel for conspiracy theories mm -hmm. now, i've been labeled a conspiracy theorist, even though i just like to entertain the idea of them i don't really go too far as like maybe storming any buildings or anything but i wanted to get your i guess perspective on why why conspiracies out of all of them why what sorry why conspiracies why did you choose to oh, debunk conspiracies uh, well i've always been interested in science uh, i i used to be a big science fiction fan when i was a kid my dad had a big collection of science fiction books and comics and that kind of led to an interest in in like popular science and so i've always been interested in you know figuring stuff out reading scientific magazines you know like scientific american popular mechanics things like that and uh, you know solving problems and uh, that's also a lot of what I do uh, in video games. In, when you're programming something, a lot of the time it's it's kind of like solving little puzzles. Like, why did this go wrong? And how do I make this thing do this, whatever you want it to do? And sometimes there's detective work and sometimes it's just, you know, kind of more like hard engineering problems with mathematics and stuff. So it's, it's, it's stuff I've always been interested in. And then conspiracies, they usually have some kind of claim in them that is scientifically based. Like if you think of the extreme example, there's uh, flat earth. And in flat earth, people say like uh, the water always finds its own level. This is one of the claims they make in flat earth. And you know, you know from being a scientist that uh, that doesn't mean that the oceans are perfectly flat. It means that they curve with the surface of the ocean. And so you can try to explain that to people. And it's just kind of an interesting thing to do to figure out you know, what's gone, gone wrong, essentially, when people are making conspiracy claims that are you know, probably not true, things like chemtrails and 9-11 uh, controlled demolition conspiracy theories. It's, it's interesting in itself, like a little intellectual puzzle to try to solve uh, what's gone wrong. And so I enjoy doing that. But I also enjoy you know, talking to people. I enjoy interacting with people who believe in these conspiracy theories and trying to figure them out and trying to communicate with them the science you try to explain to them what the actual real science is which can be quite a challenge but it's, it's also an interesting challenge 
and you can also help people. So it's kind of a combination of, of reasons, I guess, like it's my, my early interests uh, led me to be interested in figuring stuff out. And the, the, the interesting people kind of keeps me coming back. The, the reason I said why was because I think it boils down to the people thing. Sometimes you can talk to someone reasonably about like, I have a buddy who's a flat earther, even though I've had astrophysicists mm. on who will completely shut them down in every aspect of it. But then it goes a little bit farther where you start having people that get so aggressive with it. Uh, like it's yeah. like their only belief in a sense. And that's when it kind of gets a little bit like, I'm not that far into it. Like I have my own conspiracies, especially like I did a five hour episode on nine 11 and there's just a lot mm. to unpack there, honestly. In my opinion, I think there's just a bunch of things going wrong at once, um, a kind of a lot of slip ups. And at the same time, with the shooting down of like that third plane, like I've read Dick Cheney's autobiography where he talked about giving the shoot order. Now, did someone hesitate? Sure. Person kept running back in saying, hey, what'd you say? And then he kept saying it over and over again. I thought I told you to shoot it down. One of the planes flew over the White House. That was the one he gave the order to, to shoot down. Who's to say another person didn't hesitate? I don't know. That's the thing is like, these are all little mysteries. And sometimes you, a lot of people, they stick to their guns on a lot of this stuff and they really become kind of violent in yeah. a sense. Yeah, well, I don't think the, the plane was shot down. You're talking about Flight 93, uh, which you know crashed into a field. Uh, Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, when planes get shot down, they they don't crash like that. They disintegrate in midair essentially because they become non-aerodynamic and they're, they're traveling very fast, uh, which they usually are. They they essentially get kind of ripped to pieces. And you think of like uh, the Malaysian flight uh, three seventy, I think the one that got shot down over Ukraine. You saw that um, scattered over over multiple fields. And you see intact pieces of it, and you see uh, intact bodies and uh, belongings and things. You look at the Shanksville plane, Flight 93 on 9-11, uh, which, which I think crashed because of the, the struggle in the cockpit. You see basically just a hole in the ground. And you don't see, uh, you see there's very little debris elsewhere. There's like a few pieces that like ended up in the trees nearby. But had it been shot down, I think you'd have been looking at something very, very different. It wouldn't have crashed at that high speed. I guess unless I'm, they somehow I was managed to do a very yeah. It's it's it 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 looks like what happens when something controlled flight into terrain. They call it like if something actually flies at high speed into a mountain. There was a uh, I think it was an Italian jet um, that crashed into a mountain because suicide by the pilot. And you know, it looks the same type of thing. You don't see any recognizable pieces of the plane. It crashed into rock, so it didn't make the same type of hole. But you know, I think you know, the you know, the problem with conspiracy theories like this is, is that when you do research into them, a lot of the times uh, you end up kind of going down a bit of a rabbit hole where the research direction that you, you take ends up just being kind of researching the things that prove it to be what you're looking for. Yeah. And this works in both directions. So if you know, if, if I think that it it just uh, it, it just crashed, I might just simply look at the narrative, look at the, the cockpit voice recordings, and look at the hole in the ground and stuff like that. Someone who um, someone who thinks that it it's was shot down, they would look at things like you know the, what Cheney said, like you know, the guy walking into the room and Cheney saying, you know, has my order changed, et cetera, et cetera. And they will just look at this aspect of it and they will, they'll look at say, oh, well, somebody found some, 
some debris that was eight miles away on the other side of a mountain. Uh, and but you've really got to look at you know, the, the evidence in totality. You know, look at you know what what uh, what look at all sides of the evidence. Don't just look at you know the evidence for the prosecution or the evidence for the defense. Like look at uh, all the evidence that's being presented and make a determination based on that. Kind of like tunnel vision when you want to see one thing, you're only looking for that one thing. So you'll come across bits and pieces of stuff and then you'll kind of form it into your own. Yeah, it's confirmation bias. Uh, if, if you if you feel like you've already figured it out, then you, you stop trying to figure it out because you, you, you become you're convinced that it is this one thing because you, know, you, you see a compelling explanation that someone's given you. Uh, and then you, 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 mentally, you kind of want to confirm it because once you start believing something, you know, having your beliefs confirmed is actually much much better for your brain on a subconscious level than having them disconfirmed. So you don't. It, it takes like an actual effort to go out and and look at the other side of the evidence. But if you're going to be intellectually um, you know, honest and rigorous about about what you're doing. You really have to consider all sides of the argument. I mean, you can say like, "Oh, yeah, well, there's obviously government disinformation, or whatever." But you know, is it is it this other stuff? Is this Alex Jones disinformation, or is it uh, architects and engineers for 9/11 truth disinformation? You know, so there's all these different different sides, and you can't just say, "Oh, I believe this side, therefore I'm only going to listen to their evidence." You've got to really look at all sides. Well, your takedowns on a lot of these things as well, too. At least some of the it, it, on Metabunk's site where you're kind of going through them and you're writing articles about them and also you're updating them as you're going through, which is good because a lot of the time information changes too. Um, keeping it up to date in that sense is very good for someone that who might stumble across of it now and be able to look at something you posted in 2021. But are, is it for you or where do you go for your information? Because I feel like a lot of people when they run off with these conspiracy theories, they find a video online and that video links to like uh, Neil Young's music, his production companies owned by the per you know what i'm talking about yeah. that one with the link to pfizer uh well no i haven't i haven't looked at that one uh recently i suppose is that a new thing with uh um, joe rogan the joe rogan thing yeah yeah with neil no, Young wanting it, to pull his music apparently the billboard company or whatever that he does his music is somehow linked to the owner of uh the pfizer ceo or something like that <laughs> yeah well they're all every, they're all linked you know if, if you look at anybody's uh investments you can probably find like they've got something in in everything yeah lots of people have have various uh you know diversified investments I, I don't know anything about that particular case but i suspect it's it's nothing particularly um uh, you know, suspicious when you when you get down to it. I don't know what the the idea would even be. There is Neil Young is in favor of of vaccines, and so he's removing his his, his music from from it's, Spotify. It's, uh, it's more of like an advertising thing, like to think that any of these news corporations that come up and uh, right after they say something about a mandate or a vaccine, or they're showing something against one side, it's usually biased in whatever news yeah. source you're looking at. They usually say like brought to you by Pfizer, and it's kind of like you're not going to crap on the company that's giving you money. It's it's that type of thinking that's out there, which I mean, in a sense, makes some sense. But honestly, I don't know. I really don't trust the news in general. Um, try to go to multiple sources. Yeah. Well, they're not all supported by Pfizer. I mean, you, you look at, I, I like to look at multiple sources. I, I have a, a web page set up uh, where I, I look at 12 different news sites all at the same time. Like you, I have each one in a little frame. So I, I got like CNN, NBC, Fox News, um, uh, things like Reuters, uh rt and the let's see what else do i have like a bunch of bunch of different sites to try to 
across the whole spectrum of possible news things. So I have CNBC, which which shows the financial news. Uh, I have Press TV, which is Iranian state television news. I have Breitbart. I have uh, Zinhao.net, which is Chinese news, and Reuters, CNN. So, yeah, you want to look at, if you want to get a, a perspective of what the media is telling you, one of the best ways to do it is to look at everything at the same time. You often see uh, that one news outlet is 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 doing one story, and that's the headline. And if all you watched was, say, CNN, uh, then you, know, you would you would think that you know, this was the only story at the moment. Like right now, uh, Fox News' top story is about uh, an American-born Olympic skier who is um, is in the Olympics playing for China. Uh, as if that's the most important story of the day. Like uh, uh, NBC is talking about uh, Ukraine. Uh, they're talking about Macron's meeting with uh, with with Putin. Uh, and yeah, you know, there's all these these different things. Like Reuters is talking about the the, the FBI's investigation of far right groups in the the, the, the January the sixth events. And RT is talking about military aid to Ukraine. So when all these news sites all give you the same story then you can tell them that's probably um yeah that's this is what's happening this is the news when they start to differ and you can kind of see that perhaps this site is choosing to focus on this because of their institutional biases or their actual um intent to to frame things in a certain way I mean, certainly with new sites like like breitbart and rt and uh, and press tv you know, they're obviously very uh, biased yeah, and essentially it's propaganda in some instances with like RT and press TV. Uh, so, you know, we know that they are, they have a bias, but you know, the other sides too, you know, CNN obviously has a very anti-Trump uh, slant, MSNBC similarly, but not, not quite as much as CNN and, and Fox news has a more, more, I guess, pro right, uh, pro conservative slant. So we know that these things exist. So look at multiple sources and that's what I do when you're looking at the evidence behind conspiracies. You don't just look at one video. You don't just look at one site. Uh, you drill down. You try to find the original sources, not just what the reporter has said, but what the paper was that the reporter was quoting. Then you read that, and then you read other papers. So multiple sources really is the key when you're investigating things where you can't get your hands on the evidence directly. Uh, so you you don't you don't want to get just one perspective have you um seen a rise i would say in people that are more i guess mistrusting or at least conspiracy conspiratorial i would say i mean with the fact that facebook comes out saying that their fact check your fact checkers are just opinion based type thinking where i go if that's you're hijacking the term fact checker i mean what's the i mean the difference between lockdown and quarantine it's the same thing but it's the words you say you see that on the other side as well too with conspiratorial thinkers they'll say something even though they're hijacking a, a word in a sense like conspiracy theory makes you kind of seem like a nut job when i look at it kind of like being more skeptical in an aspect as long as it's not violent but sure. fact checking i mean if mark zuckerberg says they're just people that agree with the same opinion then that makes everyone start to question what is a fact and then you get down to crazy things like trust the science where it's like now you're hijacking 
hijacking a term in a sense, and you're using it, whether it's for good or it's for bad, you're, uh, you're taking hold of a word that is conditioned to a lot of people to mean one thing. And then if you end up messing up or someone exposes a small thing, it doesn't even have to be a giant conspiracy. Then that word is going to end up losing a, a little bit of value to it. Yeah, I think with fact-checking, uh, you know, a lot of what fact-checkers do, if you go to somewhere like factcheck.org or even you look at the things that are being fact-checked on, uh, on Facebook, a lot of it is stuff that you can actually verify yourself and you can, you can check to see if the fact-checkers are in fact correct in their determination. I think where it gets uh, a, little, a little harder and perhaps what Zuckerberg was referring to is the cases where it's it's somewhat open to interpretation. Uh, so there could be a news story that says, like, you know, Pelosi said this, or Pelosi has profited from uh, the, the pandemic because of her investments. And the actual nuances of it could be somewhat open to interpretation. And uh, it could be like, you know, she's just invested in an index fund and all index funds have gone up over the last six months. So yeah, she's profited from the, this, or it could be that she's, uh, invested in something deliberately that, that that profited from it, so that there could be uh, there could be different ways of interpreting the story. And a, a fact checker, their job isn't to just put on their own personal interpretation of that story. Their 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 job is to look at other people's interpretation of that story and see if that interpretation is supported by the facts. You know, they're checking the facts that underlie that, and then they can say whether. Yeah, they think those facts actually support the story. So there's still facts checking, but there are stories where you, you can't have like someone be the absolute arbiter of the truth because it's, it's open to interpretation either way. However, I would say that probably 90%, if not more, of actual fact checking uh, is essentially simple factual things. You know, people claim things like, you know, say Donald Trump says, I had the biggest crowd ever from my inauguration. You can check it and you see that it's false and you say that it's false. Uh, so it's, it's very fairly simple things like that, which you can then verify yourself because they will give you sources. Uh, and if you go to like factcheck.org or, or, or you know, Reuters has something similar and uh, there's, there's lots of other ones, PolitiFact, uh, they will give you the actual sources and then you can go and just basically repeat the work. So it's most of the time fact checking is just checking facts. Because I know you, you, you've talked a lot about 9-11 and some of the other ones, but I'm kind of looking at some a little bit of newer ones as well, too. Um, just with Wuhan, for instance, like what are your thoughts on this one that is completely it seems like the narrative keeps flipping back and forth, kind of like a ping pong yeah. match. You got to keep your eye on the ball. Yeah, it's an interesting one. You know, what you're talking about, whether uh, the virus coronavirus originated in a lab. Yeah, uh, I mean, it might be it's something that you can't rule out because obviously there was a lab there. Uh, but you know, they also they had the lab there because of the proximity to all these bat populations, where whether the which are incubators for the virus. So the coincidence of the locations, you know, maybe you know, kind of putting you know uh, cause and effect type thing. You know, they, they both started and they were both in the same place because that's where the disease is. But you know, obviously, it's it's a bit of a coincidence, um, and that makes people suspicious. Because there's a saying in, in conspiracy theories that there are no coincidences, which is obviously wrong because coincidences happen all the time. But it's something that, that raises eyebrows. But then, of course, there are people who think that there's something to it, or they perhaps you know have reasons for wanting to point the finger uh, at China. Uh, will go in and that they start doing this 
gathering of evidence where they're only gathering the evidence for a particular case and then they're not listening to the the experts on the other side but yeah it's 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 something that i guess not the narrative exactly but you know the the analysis of it has actually changed over time and i think it, it may well be that uh, yeah there's there's more investigation that needs to be done as to where exactly it came from and could it have been something like you know was it something they were studying in the lab that got released is it something like the you know, this gain of function that uh, that they were experimenting with that that somehow got loose uh, or is it just coincidence you know we don't actually know and the, you know, we don't have really strong evidence either way we just have these kind of you know coincidental things that are happening at the same time so it's something to watch uh, ultimately i don't i don't think it's you know, hugely important unless it turns out that people knew and then there was a big cover-up, which yeah. you know, I, don't, I don't really think is the case. I don't think it, it, that was the case either. I think it was just, I mean, from taking it back from a personal aspect, but looking more of like a, I would say a government aspect, like an overall <laughs> entity type thing. I mean, if you're going to research something defense-wise or anything like that, I mean, that's the same thing with the movie Men Who Stared Goats when they were practicing remote viewing was all from a tip that Russia was creating psychological warriors. So we thought we might as well do the same thing. And really it was some bad information that they got. So then they started doing that same thing because they knew we were doing it. And it was like, it's kind of like that is, are, well, if they have nukes or they're testing nukes, then maybe we should start testing nukes just to make sure that we're up with them. We're not out, you know what I mean? And that's kind of where I see it from. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. The men who stare at goats things is, uh, you know, people in government are not perfect. Uh, they're, they're you, know, you look at men who stare at goats, and it's it's quite ridiculous, really, what they were actually doing. It's and the movie. basis for the, the belief uh, that you know remote viewing works is, you know, I always say I say essentially the evidence indicates that it doesn't work. You might argue that there's some like you know statistical drift in certain experiments that seems to indicate that there's a very slight effect and sometimes people get things right but you know really statistically speaking you know it doesn't work and they should have known that back then but like you say when when people in the military here other there might be something think the, the russians might be testing this thing then yeah they 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 do it just it's kind of like a why take a chance thing. Why take a chance that it's not actually happening? Let's actually go out there and try and do it ourselves. Uh, and if it doesn't work, you know, there's, there's nothing lost other than a you know, slight embarrassment. Uh, but I think this is something that, that happens a lot in the military. They actually go down strange paths just in case. You know, you've got, you got so much money. See, in the military budget is like a trillion dollars a year now. It's a ridiculous amount of money. They can spend a few million here and there on these kind of more speculative projects. Like, does uh, does remote viewing work? Does psychokinesis work? Can we uh, can we do uh, the brown note thing where you can beam ultrasound into people's heads and make them like crap their pants? Or yeah, the there was, there was I think the the gay bomb was even a real thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a thing in popular culture, but it was something that was suggested that you could demoralize the enemy by uh, making, uh, spraying uh, pheromones into the air to make the troops attracted to each other. You know, things that are, are, seem completely ridiculous, but they're just, they're just blue, blue sky speculation. Uh, and that's gone over to the, the UFO thing now. I think people are thinking, oh, well, well let's, let's check out to see if there actually are UFOs just in case. You know, what if there are and we, we, we got it wrong? We should at least you know, do some due diligence. Uh, 
so yeah, uh, we, we, you, do, you do end up with people going down strange paths and studying rather odd things. You have to admit that's probably easier to deal with than all the government stuff is probably dealing with a lot of the UFO stuff, or do you find that it kind of goes hand in hand in a sense with the amount of information, like disclosure, everyone does the freedom of yeah. information act. And they think like the government just has to give you this stuff because what you, well, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's like, yeah, it's like, um, UFO, I used to think of UFOs as being like a mostly harmless um, topic to look into because it's just people like, studying things in the sky. But really, when you get down to it, it, it really is a type of conspiracy theory because most people who believe that UFOs are, are real, they, they mostly think that it's uh, aliens are the most likely hypothesis. You know, most of the people, the, the big wigs who have been promoting UFOs recently have come out and said, we think it's probably aliens. You know, Lou Elizondo, one of the guys been on TV, he's, he thinks it's aliens or extra dimensional beings or something. And Chris Mellon, uh, who's the guy who is responsible for the recent legislation. Uh, I saw you there. talked to past guest Avi Loeb too. Yeah, and Avi Loeb, like he he's strongly suspicious that you know we have alien visitors or there's evidence of, of alien visitors. You might not think that yeah every UFO is an alien, but he. He thinks that it's quite probable that the Oumuamua um, thing, uh, interstellar object that came through our, our, our solar system uh, last year, was he thinks it was probably some kind of alien artifact. This, this seems to be his leading hypothesis. And he's, he's set up this organization to investigate whether there is evidence of alien visitors uh, in our solar system and, and on Earth. So, you know, lots of people you know, think that uh, aliens are the best uh, evidence of, of UFOs, which leads them to think that the government probably knows this and that the government is covering it up. So it becomes a conspiracy theory, whether you like it or not. What, you know, what I don't do you think there's really any way that... I, 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 I don't think that aliens are visiting us. Okay. I, I think the evidence is not very good. Uh, part of that is, you know, from individual cases that I've investigated, and seeing how people present evidence as being conclusive when, when really it's, it turns out not to be when you dig deeper into it. And this isn't just like, you know, old things like Roswell, it's the more recent stuff. Uh, there was a case where the Chilean uh, government's UFO investigation team spent two years uh, investigating one particular UFO video and they declared it a genuine unknown, and everyone was really excited about it. But it turned out to be just a plane. Uh, you know, but they spent two years, you know, a whole bunch of uh, experts spent two years analyzing this one video, couldn't figure it out, uh, but it was just a plane. You know, we, we figured out exactly which plane it was and demonstrated that it was there at that precise moment in time, and it was literally impossible for, for it to be anything else. Um, so people who are supposed experts make these mistakes. Sorry about that technical difficulties, which is going to lead to my next thing down the road. Um, what were you saying? I'm sorry. What did you finish on? So, yeah, I was talking about uh, UFOs and how if you believe in UFOs and you believe that UFOs are aliens, then you kind of have to be a conspiracy theorist and you have to believe that the government is covering up uh, this, this evidence. And that can be quite troubling for people. And uh, a lot of people are very disconcerted by the idea that, that 
you know, we have evidence of aliens, we have, you know, underground bases, and we have crashed flying saucers and things like that. This, this, and then the government's not telling us about it. Uh, it, it leads people to be kind of upset about that in general, but also be more suspicious about other conspiracy theories. They start thinking that, uh, you, know, you know, if the government can cover up UFOs, what else are they covering up? And then they, it becomes a lot easier for people to believe in, uh, you know, things like, say, chemtrails or even, uh, you know, the QAnon stuff or the more extreme 9-11 conspiracy theorists. Uh, so UFOs seem like a harmless interest, but it kind of leads you down the path of conspiracy theories. Well, all of it leads you down a rabbit hole in a sense. I mean, it feels like if you don't, like if you're just finding out all this information now, if you see Bill Nelson, the main director of NASA, come out and say mm -hmm. that there are things out there that we can't explain, and then they're releasing CIA documents, and it seems like the NSA is always pointing at the CIA, and the CIA is pointing at whoever, it just makes people go, wait a minute. I've been behind on this for so long and then they have to do as much as they possibly can and maybe fall into some of those kind of rabbit holes in a sense where sure. they start seeing conspiracy theories everywhere. I remember when I first started yeah. like listening to Alex Jones and stuff, I felt like I was like, oh, what is this? What is this guy talking about? Then you search it up and you're like, wait a minute, there is a mm -hmm. MK Ultra thing. And then you look down MK Ultra and you keep going down farther and farther and farther. Then you start wondering and questioning more and more and more. Yeah. And that's that's how it works. Uh, this is how you know that's when people get into some kind of conspiracy theory. That's how it it starts. You 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 take the red pill essentially. You, your eyes are opened to a new world of information. You get these these things that you didn't realize exist before, and you think, oh, this is how the world really works. And then you start discovering these new things, and you think, oh, that's true, that's true, that's true. And you because you you're seeing you're being exposed to these 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 videos and other information that is, is, is very convincing to you. Uh, and then people will point out and they'll say, well, that's not true. And, the, and you say, well, you know, okay, that's not true, but you know, there's all this other stuff. And then you, you carry on and you kind of build this, this worldview. Eventually though, people often over a few years, uh, they kind of reach a plateau in terms of like this, this kind of reaching around for new information and they settle down into like a fairly steady state, like a set of beliefs that they, they, they are really interested in and that they, they feel like constitute the, their worldview. And I, I find that when people get to that stage, then at some point they start to question one of those beliefs. And then one of their core beliefs kind of falls away because, you know, they, 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 decide oh well maybe a plane didn't hit maybe a plane did hit the pentagon or you know maybe flight 93 was shot down or wasn't shot down in whichever way it goes uh, and it it unravels their belief and you know when people fall down a rabbit hole they tend to keep going from momentum they tend to keep like you know finding new things to discover uh, and eventually though people do actually find their way out. And I think that's, that's something that you, you, you may have experienced yourself with some of the things you used to believe in, uh, that, that over time that say, uh, you know, you, you kind of settle down into a certain state and then you start to question one aspect of it and then the whole thing unravels. You know, then there's probably still other things that you, you solidly believe in and perhaps that might come later, we'll see. Uh, where do you find the most resistance? I would say, like, do you find it in the UFO community? Do you find it with people who believe like 9/11 was an inside job or flat Earth? I find it in the UFO community, and I think the reason that is is that for many people who believe in UFOs, it's a very personal belief. Uh, they've either had some experience themselves, 
or uh, you know, they know someone who did, but they're, they're basing their beliefs upon actual personal experience. Like they saw a light in the sky uh, that they, they seem to behave strangely. It's very different from someone seeing you know, video of the Twin Towers collapsing from 20 years ago. Uh, it doesn't have that, that personal impact, that immediacy. Uh, you know, people with 9-11, if, if someone lost a relative in 9-11, that makes it very personal for them. Uh, sometimes there were some people who were there who think they saw things that makes it very personal for them. But that, that's pretty rare in the world of the 9-11 uh, community. With UFOs, it's probably like half of the UFO believer community uh, has had some kind of personal experience. And some people think they've had multiple experiences. You know, the people who go out for these um, close encounter uh, camps, the CE5, close encounters of the fifth kind, where they they think they are summoning aliens. It's a $10 app. But, I'm not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's you know, I think it's like a, a $2,000 camping trip, but uh, you know, there's also an app that goes along with it. And people, you can do it yourself. And there's groups on Facebook where people give advice on what to do. And all you've got to do is basically go and sit in the desert and stare at the sky. And eventually you will see um, a light in the sky. You, you don't even have to meditate. It uh, will show up regardless. But uh, that's, for many people, an, an immensely personal experience. If you feel like you know, you're sitting in the desert, meditating, sending out your love to, into the universe and some celestial being essentially uh, pays you a visit, that can be super personal. And so that type of person will then believe you know, that all these other things are you know, this type of uh, alien visitor of the type that they summoned in the desert. So if I come along and say, well, this video here, like say the, the gimbal video, that doesn't actually show anything amazing. They, they take that as being me saying, oh, well, your experience in the desert was also not amazing. You know, they take it as a very personal attack on their beliefs because I'm demonstrating something that they believe to be true is not which then starts to cast doubt on these other things, which they know are a little bit dubious. They know that there are, there are questions about them and that they're a bit out of the mainstream. And so they get very defensive and it's very, very personal and much more in the UFO community than in other communities. Yeah, and especially with memory as well too. It's very, very hard because your memory starts to kind of warp over time. Like, did I remember that right? Did I ever, I think I went to a basketball game and I met Michael Jordan. It's like, you've never even been to a basketball game. It's like, well, where did that memory come from? It kind of starts becoming fragmented and mixed together. And I, I was wondering what, what your thoughts were about experiencers because sometimes I'm hearing like a person talk about it. I'm pretty good at sensing if someone's feeding me a story, but with memory, I feel like sometimes you can trick yourself into thinking it actually happened. And that's when you can literally a hundred, like they'll get angry sometimes and then usually when someone starts reverting to like names or something like that is typically when i'm like okay i'm getting you on something yeah i think i think most experiences people who think they've had some kind of ufo encounter of some sort viewing it or or closer up i think generally they are telling uh they're not they're they're, they're telling things that they believe to be true uh whether they actually are true or not is is uh is you know open for debate and you know, i think probably a lot of the time it's not an accurate representation of what actually happened the problem is when when i say hey, i i think i don't think they're telling the truth uh it kind of implies to a lot of people that i think that they're lying but there's a difference truth and lies aren't the only two things that you can tell if i was to tell you something that i believed to be true but was in fact false that isn't the truth 
that is it's not a lie either it's a it's a mistake and i think a lot of times what happens uh is people make mistakes they first of all they make them in their initial visual uh interpretation of what they see you, you look it's night you're looking up into the sky you see you know some lights in the sky it's very easy for you to misinterpret what you're looking at either think that they're much lower down uh, than they actually are or the higher up or they're moving fast or they're moving slow you can't really tell because you don't really have any context it's very easy to interpret like three lights as being a, a solid triangular craft if it's a single light that's not moving like a star or a planet there's an effect called the the autokinetic effect which uh, makes that light appear to move so it's a perfectly natural mistake to make so there's lots of you know in, immediate mistakes that people make and then they make mistakes almost immediately after that when they 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 start to form memories and they start to describe what they saw uh, or they, they tell themselves what they what they saw and they're, or they're telling somebody else what they saw and they think oh it was a triangle moving across the sky when it was just three lights and how big was it well it was the size of a football field uh but it doesn't really mean anything because you don't know how far away it is and then you know these these descriptions that you give verbal descriptions start to take on a bit of a life of their own and they they impose an interpretation of your own memories upon those memories and then over time your short-term memory turns into medium-term memory and then these longer-term memories and eventually kind of ossifies until it's not really a memory anymore you're just recalling the telling of the memory rather than the actual events itself and that can change and we know that these things change over time like if you don't think about an event for a long period of time and then you try to bring it back you could imagine that it was in a completely different location or that a different person was with you yeah you know, I've, I've had experiences where i've had a conversation with a person and you know i tell my wife oh, i was just talking to, to to larry and she's no you were talking to phil oh yeah i was it was phil and he's a completely different person but your memory has somehow changed the conversation partner to be a different person this, these things happen and they're not, they're, they're just human things it's not like the person is trying to deceive the person the experiences almost always are trying to tell the truth they're not trying to convince you of something that they don't think is true they're trying to convince you of something that they think is true uh so yeah it's it's well is that a savable thing? when i like, question people i'm not attacking them yeah is that a savable thing though like because i mean i don't think you're attacking anybody in anything i think you're just trying to show them that maybe what they have in their head or maybe the idea which i mean some people can consider rude but i wouldn't consider that rude i mean it's like they're manchurian candidated in a way where it's like you kind of like your memory started falling apart and then you were picking up the pieces but the pieces aren't in order and then like you're putting it back up and then that gets solidified and cement and then it's like you got to yeah. tear this all back down and try and fix it i was just with do you have any like uh base level questions or things that you ask when you talk to an experiencer or someone with ufo like for instance if i asked you is coke the same thing as sprite you would tell me that it is not okay and then you would ask are aliens government tech yeah but yeah I, I don't think there are like these baseline questions it's not like we're doing a lie detector test on people uh you know we know most people are just they're just regular ordinary people so that they will they will tell you like regular ordinary things about ordinary things but they're, they're trying to relate a memory to you and it, there's not a lot you can do with it once it has become a solid memory. You can't start going in and then trying to reveal the true memory. 
because all you're doing at that point is that you are trying to impose some kind of set of beliefs uh, upon that person. And there's, there was a, a UFO investigator called uh, Cynthia Hind who investigated the, the aerial school uh, sightings of, of, of visiting aliens in um, Zimbabwe. And she said her technique consisted of uh, persistent and repeated questioning to reveal aspects of the encounter uh, that the witness may have forgotten. So there's a big problem with that because she's essentially thinking that you know they, this this person has you know, met an alien and they've forgotten the the details. Uh, but if I question them in the right way and do it repeatedly, we'll eventually reveal what they have forgotten. But what you might be doing is actually implanting a memory in that person. So it's very difficult uh, to, if not impossible, to actually get the correct information out. Because by asking a question, you're often changing the memory of that person. Because you ask a question in one way, they will recall it in one way. You ask it in a different way, they will recall it in a different way. And this is, this is something that studies have been done on. It's, it's not just simply me saying this. You know, the way you question a witness has an effect on their memory. If you phrase the questions um, in a way that makes the situation dangerous, uh, then people will recall things a different way. This is something that has happened with eyewitness accounts. Uh, like if you phrase the question in a way that makes a suspect sound like he's the murderer, then they're going to finger this person as the murderer and you're more times than not. So you have to be very, very careful. And you not just very careful, but also when you weigh the evidence, give it appropriate weight. You know, eyewitness accounts are great if that's all you've got, but they're really not as great as they seem. Someone tells you they saw a spaceship doesn't mean they actually show us a spaceship. They may well have been mistaken. And you'll find a lot of people that are trying to milk, I guess, all the popularity out of it as well, too. I could think that's a problem with the UFO community as well, is that there's people that'll say this or they'll talk about experiences. But I start to question a little bit more after talking with so many of them when they give me kind of examples. But then when I ask more about the examples, they say from like a guy who knew a guy who dated his sister, who was friends with his cousin. And I'm like, okay, this is where we start to get yeah. down the little rabbit hole here. Yeah, no, I, I have this saying that uh, UFOs live in the, the low information zone, the LIZ, the Liz. Uh, and that with photography, that's to do with uh, things that are too, too far away to tell where they are. You, you see UFO videos all the time and it's it's a black dot in the sky or it's a white light in the sky or it's a white dot and you, it's too far away to see any detail and that's how, how it always was but with eyewitness accounts there's also this low information zone because we don't know what fidelity the recording is that in this person's mind is and especially when it's a second hand or third hand encounter you know with these older cases now some of the original witnesses have passed away and so we're relying on you know, other people interpreting uh, these memories for this person uh, so yeah you you can't really put that much weight into eyewitness accounts and it's not really great information unless you can get uh, very well correlated and completely independent accounts of the same thing yeah people who are together 
they will you know, look up and see the same thing. And then they'd be like, did you see that? It was a big white light in the sky. Yeah, it looked like, like a triangle or something. And then, then their stories converge because they both think they saw the same thing. and say, what would it look like? It would look like this. But if you have someone, I don't know, someone who's in the west end of town and someone who's in the east end of town and maybe four or five other people across town, and they all agree that they saw um, the exact same thing. Like we saw a big circular flying saucer with red lights rotating around the edge and a triangle on the bottom and it shot beams of light up into the sky. If they all saw the exact same thing and they repeat that, then that is good evidence. But one person, just one perspective on something is not very good evidence. And you really have to take that into account when you're analyzing these cases. Do you, so if you don't think it's aliens, what about the idea that it could possibly be a weather phenomena, like how we see mirages and things? Yeah, I think you know, your question there uh, raises an interesting point. It's like, uh, could it be weather phenomena? Yeah, yeah, some things could be weather phenomena. You, I think a lot of people, they're trying to say, what are UFOs? Are they aliens or are they something else? I think there are lots of different things. I think weather phenomena is one thing. I think misidentified planes is another thing. I think misidentified aerial clutter like balloons uh, and birds and garbage bags are something else. Uh, there could be um, atmospheric distortions that cause these, these uh, visual tunnels, <coughs> excuse me, Fata Morgana type things and mirages. There could be uh, types of, of lights that appear in the sky, like lightning, possibly like ball lightning, some kind of plasma effect that, that occurs in the sky. These are all different things, uh, but they can all contribute to what we think of as being the, the UAP phenomena. I think it's a huge mistake to try to just pin one explanation on, on UFOs and UAPs, because there's uh, almost certainly multiple ones. And this is what the, the official government report said. The, 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 the provisional, the, the preliminary report, on UFO says, we think that they were going to one of these five categories. You know, the first one was aerial clutter. The first thing listed was birds, you know, birds, balloons, drones, uh, plastic bags. This was all in the first category. The second one was atmospheric effects. Uh, the third one was uh, secret uh, foreign technology. The fourth one was secret US technology being tested, you know, or perhaps a private party testing, you know, like Tesla testing a fancy drone or something. And then the last one was other, which is just a catch-all category for things that uh, we, we haven't thought of yet, or that perhaps might even be new to science, like some type of ball lightning. And the, everything that we see probably falls into one of these, these five categories, and probably most of it falls in the first one. But you're not... aerial clutter is what we see in UFO videos all of the time. But the belief maybe that it could possibly, some of that might be mixed in with maybe government tech in a sense, or is that too far out just because we haven't really seen any government kind of tech that's advanced in that way. But I've seen you kind of debunk Bob Lazar. So, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I always like to keep an open mind that the government's probably doing something interesting. Well, uh, you know, the first category was birds and balloons and we've got birds and balloons. So something being government tech doesn't mean it's necessarily super advanced government tech. It could be just something like a stealth drone uh, that isn't necessarily making these amazing movements. I saw you like if, talk if a about lot of jet flares as well, too. That, that was really interesting. Yeah, um, that's, yeah, I think that's the glare thing you're talking about with the, the gimbal video. Yeah, that, that's when you view things with an infrared camera, 
the heat from the engine sometimes can flare up behind the jet. We've seen this in a whole bunch of different videos and it can obscure what the jet actually looks like. Uh, this isn't something the average person will mistake for a UFO because very few people have access to, to that type of camera. Uh, but, but yeah, the military UFO videos, the gimbal video and the FLIR 1 video, I think are just showing a plane from behind and you're seeing the heat from the engine and it causes this glare uh, behind the engine. So it's just another thing. It's a misidentified plane, essentially. And misidentified planes account for a huge proportion of the UFO videos that, that I see you know, on a daily basis, people you know, asking me, what is this, this, this video of? And at least one of them on, a, on a give, any given day is gonna be some type of plane that's just simply being misidentified. Other ones are gonna be balloons and others are just going to be little white lights in the sky that are so tiny on screen that you can't identify them. But none of them have done anything that's unambiguously interesting. You can't say that, oh, here is a video of something yeah, moving in defiance of gravity unambiguously. You can't say that's for sure because you, know, you just got this, this crappy video. We don't have any good video evidence. Yeah, It's, it's quite disappointing. Uh, and then I want to let my little conspiracy one come out. My buddy Brandon was on my show, and he's known as Brandon the Skeptic, so he always brings something fun to the table. And he had mm -hmm. this idea about Disney, which Disney is somehow using Newspeak uh, to cover up every like kind of, I guess, interesting thing conspiratorial wise you can find on the internet, like um, mm. George Orwell, 1984. But when you type in 1984, you're going to get Wonder Woman, 1984. Then if you type in Endgame, it used to be Alex Jones Endgame. And then you get, now you get Avengers Endgame, which it's, it's not like it's a hot heated or serious yeah. one. It's more fun in a sense. But then I was uh, recently, it was the, I guess the, the anniversary or it was, I guess it was last year it was the anniversary of JFK's assassination. And it was also the 26th birthday of Toy Story where I was like, all right, hang on a second, hang on a second. How, how deep does this go? And I'm obviously I entertain it. I don't <laughs> actually believe it, but I think that's a yeah. pretty interesting one you might like. Well, I just I typed in 1984 and George Orwell's 1984 came up and there was maybe, nothing about I think that's your algorithm. Yeah, well, I don't know. Like, is, was that even Wonder Woman? I think that Wonder Woman was 1980, wasn't it? Wonder Woman. Oh, it was 1984. Yeah, but yeah, it it, it the Frozen a... Walt Disney's Frozen head. But then if you type in Frozen, <laughs> it's just they're fun stuff. You like can make that. you can make connections. <laughs> you can make connections very easily. And there's only 365 days of the year, so uh, the, the chances of two things you know happening on the same day uh, that are interesting are, are pretty high. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote an article about this. Like coincidences are inevitable. You're going to get these these coincidences. There's a thing called the the birthday paradox where the you know the number of people you have to have in a room for them for the, there to be a 50 50 chance of them having uh the same birthday is surprisingly low it's something like 23 people you get 23 people in the room you've got a 50 50 chance of two of them having the same same birthday which and it seems like a coincidence you know, you, you in a class of kids you know, two of them are going to have the same birthday you know in half of all classes two kids will have the same birthday and it seems very improbable it seems like this weird coincidence and people have these family coincidences they say oh like my my great aunt has the same birthday as my niece what are the odds i mean the odds are you know, inevitable and it's the same thing with with this type of thing like the, there's there's going there's only so many um you know names and numbers and years and dates that you can actually use so you're going to get these coincidences uh, that seem like they are significant 
of the Simpsons. People point to the Simpsons and they say, oh, the Simpsons predicted all this stuff. But the, yeah, there's like, there's like 6,000 episodes of the Simpsons and there's loads of things in every single episode, hundreds of things in every single episode. And sometimes they're gonna get a hit in terms of uh, matching that with what happens in the future. It doesn't actually mean anything. It's just the inevitability of coincidences. coincidences. Uh, kind of like a, uh, if, how long if you put a monkey in a room to type on a typewriter, could he come pull out the complete works of Shakespeare? It's just an inevitable. No, not really like that at all. Okay, <laughs> guess not. Um, because the, uh, you have to have rather rather a lot of monkeys to actually do that. Because uh, it's I, I think I long. get what you're saying though about um, possibilities. I mean, the chances eventually it's easier going to line up. It's kind of like one out of a thousand. Pe basically. People, uh, you remember the coincidences. This is the concept called synchronicity which you can take as being one of two things. Uh, synchronicity is either some kind of underlying force in the universe that causes coincidences, meaningful coincidences to happen. Uh, like, you know, you, you, you think of somebody and the phone rings and it's them. You know, that's synchronicity is the universe causing these things to happen. Or what synchronicity actually is, is the inevitability of such coincidences. You live long enough. Every day you have lots and lots of things happen to you and uh, lots of other things are happening. And sometimes these two sets of things coincide and that one or two of them will line up in the right way. And that seems like it's amazing. You know, someone has to win the lottery for that person. It's the most amazing thing ever that has happened to them in their entire life and the most amazing thing they've ever heard of happening to anybody. But from the world's perspective, just you know somebody won the lottery someone has to win the lottery so coincidences happen and coincidences are going to happen to you and they've happened to me uh they, these things that seem like amazing at the time but they are just things that happen to everyone everyone in their life will experience things that seem like interesting coincidences but statistic tells us statistics tells us that that is going to happen so look forward to it young people do you um do you also find that it happens, always happens to be kind of like one straw man, I would say? Like with Disney, it would, it'd be interesting to think that one corporation is slowly trying to rule the world as much as they might have hands in a lot of things. Um, it, that, that's interesting. Like Bill Gates, everyone was kind of yeah. at him for a little while because everyone kind of needs one figure. It's always bounce between yeah, Bezos. Totally. Too. Yeah, but you, know, you look at, um, I, I, I always tell people to look at the list of billionaires I go to the like Forbes and do like, you know, the top billionaires in the world. There's about a thousand of them, I think. Um, and it's a very diverse bunch who have very little to do with each other. It's not like there's a big club of people who you know, all got together and they're, they're trying to rule the world. There's a bunch of people who made a billion dollars or inherited a billion dollars in a variety of ways, a variety of very different ways. You know, Bill Gates and uh, Jeff Bezos you know, it's somewhat related because it's, it's technology, but, you know, Jeff Bezos made his money starting selling books. Um, Bill Gates, they're uh, selling floppy disks of uh, an operating system for a computer. Quite, quite different things, really. And then you've got other people like Carlos Slim, who made his money um, selling mobile phones in South America, I believe. And then a whole bunch of Chinese people. And uh, then uh, Warren Buffett, who made his money investing. And a bunch of other people who made their money in banking, people who made it in mining, people who inherited it, people who did it in a variety of uh, uh, industries. They're all different. So there isn't really this cabal of people 
running the world. And Bill Gates isn't certainly isn't at their head. He's just some lucky nerd who who worked hard and was in the right place at the right time. Um, but yeah, there's people do like to have a target. And George Soros comes up, yeah, probably because he's Jewish, and a lot of people like to. Yeah, think that the Jewish people are responsible for all the world's. We ills. don't control the weather. But, it doesn't happen like that. <laughs> no, no one controls the weather, which is is unfortunate. I mean, you know, maybe in the future we will control the weather, but it's very obviously a very touchy subject, very dangerous thing to do to control the weather. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Uh, Disney, of course, did a, a film about that. Like the, uh, I can't remember if it was a part of a film or if it was a film, but it was it was a thing where it was the future. But this is an obvious thing to imagine. What might humans do in the future? Well, they might fly to other worlds. They might invent screens that you can talk to people who are on the other side of the planet and they might control the weather and they, they might uh, genetically engineer animals to be more useful. And, you know, so these are yeah, it's just science fiction stuff that a lot of it comes true eventually. Like my, my watch here, I can make a phone call on my watch. I can go out to, you know, into the wilderness somewhere, as long as it's reasonably close to a cell phone tower, and I can actually call somebody on my watch. And that was like science fiction. It was like Dick Tracy's like, you know, radio watch. I can you know, browse the wonders of the universe just, just from my watch. So science fiction comes true eventually. So these, Walt Disney pred predicting something isn't really surprising. That's because it's, wait, wait it's for just... my tell-all where it's going to be a giant Disney cover-up of all the major kind of craziness <laughs> that happens. But I, I get it. I mean, it, it was just interesting to think because I think that's one of the more fun ones I enjoy and a lot of the mm. more serious ones too, especially when you get into 9-11 and all these. These are kind of ones that like you can joke about and have a beer with someone with. Yeah, but only if you don't believe them. If you if you believe that Disney is doing all this stuff, then it it becomes really sinister. It's this evil force permeating our entire uh, society that is, is driving our, our brains in a certain direction. I mean, that's pretty scary if it was true. I mean, I don't, I don't think it is, obviously. I don't think there's, there's any evidence of, of that. But then, of course, like, yeah, most conspiracy theories are based upon some kind of hint of the truth in that there is propaganda out there. And TV was arose from advertising. You know, the big three networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS, you know, their business model was to have corporations give them money and for them to have an audience that would look at those commercials. So, you know, straight away then, they've got this kind of conflict of interest. They're, they're, they're somewhat beholden to these, these corporations. And, and then other people come in who perhaps have ulterior motives, like Rupert Murdoch uh, buys Fox News, and perhaps he wants to you know, push his own uh, political beliefs uh, via Fox News, or perhaps he just thinks it's good, good, good market forces, a good way of, uh, you know, getting a niche out there. But you know, these these things, you know, there there is misinformation and there is propaganda in the world. It's not like everything is factual, but the idea that you know Disney you know, releases cartoons to try to, you know you know, convince people of things like the global warming is real. It's, you know, it, it doesn't really stand up to scrutiny. Uh, do you feel like it maybe people just watch a little bit too much TV in a sense? Cause I think that's where a lot of these kind of go down to where you end up hearing about like flat earthers. I think, I don't know if it's them or not, but they talk about how some, it has something to do with like Nazis. I don't know if it deals with the Rothschilds or something is where they're pulling it from, but there's like a, something in the yeah. Arctic. 
Yeah, that's uh, kind of the Operation Paperclip type thing, but also they there's there's kind of a mythology around uh, Nazis, and that there's a belief that the Nazis had developed a lot of uh, very interesting technology. Because towards the end of World War II, uh, the the Nazi government was doing a bunch of of interesting stuff. You know, they did the the V two rocket, and they actually had uh, jet powered planes, which was you know quite a, an impressive technological. Uh, uh, thing at the time, and you know, had they actually won the war and they hadn't been the, the manufacturing base hadn't been destroyed, they probably would have continued to do stuff like that. And after the war, a lot of uh German scientists were taken over to the United States in the Operation Paperclip, yeah. Braun, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but some people think that there was secret Nazi scientists who escaped and they, they formed bases in the Antarctic or in South America and places like that, and that they developed flying saucers and that they, they had contact with aliens. So it's just a bunch of mythology, yeah. essentially. It doesn't really, you know, again, doesn't really stand up to scrutiny because the evidence really isn't there to support it. Now, I've heard you talk about this, and I've also talked to Avi when he was on here about this, but robo robotic enhancements, artificial life, this whole entire craze that's kind of taking off, um, mostly I'm seeing videos of like kids at colleges who like are in a machine class and they're making a robot with like, I guess it was like fake skin on top of it. Like Sophia, like looking. Yeah. that's scaring me because I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel I was against it. Cause I thought Terminator and way, way beginning, like my very first episodes. And yeah. now I'm more accepting to it. Cause I realize this is like, if you're going to talk about space travel, that's a great next step in a sense. Um, it's just the alg yeah. like, algorithms on social media, its own, they're not the best. And sometimes, I mean, you can't even say certain things on Facebook where you'd be like, you can't say that. That doesn't, it, it, I just feel like it's not a perfected system yet. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, robots and AI is a good example of something that was in science fiction and uh, is now a reality. And that you know we haven't reached the the the, the real far future of the science fiction. Yeah, there's there's a, a story called I Robot, and it's about you know this Isaac Asimov and the three laws of robotics, and when you know, you shall not allow a human to cause harm by action or inaction, and uh, uh, I can't remember whether you shouldn't allow yourself to come harm, and there was another one in between. I can't remember what it was, but you know they. The idea there was that humanity would have had the foresight to anticipate that robots could turn on their masters. And so they had these laws of robotics hardwired into all the robots so that they wouldn't do that. But you know, it's a real problem because we're on the cusp of a revolution in, in artificial intelligence where it's going to become indistinguishable from humans. And we're also on the cusp of uh, autonomous robots, you know, things that can run around and, and shoot things or fly around or roll around or do all kinds of, of, of movements. And the more autonomousness that robots get, the greater the risk of there being some kind of accident uh, where something bad could happen. I mean, it's not necessarily like you know, the robots are just our useful slaves or the robots rule the world. You know, there could be something just bad happening like a, a small robot war or something like that but yeah it's it's something where i think we we should be concerned i think that uh, artificial intelligence and, and robotics is proceeding at a very fast rate of speed and uh there's, there's possibility of things going wrong and 
lots of people have pointed this out. I mean, I'm sure Elon Musk has mentioned it. AI is a problem. Uh, anybody who's interested in, in futurism of any sort knows that we are, you know, at a, not exactly a turning point, but certainly at a, a very rapidly changing situation where we, you know, we would do well to perhaps slow down a little bit. Do you think it's going to lead more into creating like a, a robotic system that's separate from a person, or do you think it's going to be more of implementing technology into people, kind of like Elon Musk and the uh, neurochip and all that? It seems like there's a actually a small percentage of people that actually want to be a cyborg race out there and actually identify as part cyborg. Yeah. There was a person who took a, um, it's like a little small little like camera or something from the back stem part right. of his spine that connects over his head where he can he can feel color like when he scans over it he can feel like whatever sensation tricks his brain or something to feel actual yeah. color that scares me more but why though why why is that scary i mean it's, cool. it's a bit weird it's cool uh, it's like you know you know it's a it's body modification it's an advanced type of body modification really like people do these these body modifications where they you know put plugs in their ears and things like that so they sharpen their teeth uh you know, perhaps it could be useful like we you know we're not far off from cyborgs except it's you know this watch is not implanted into my wrist it's removable i can take it off and my my phone i carry around with me it's even more powerful and i've got various other things that are uh technology is is an extension of it extends humans powers like these reading glasses like they you know, essentially, does this make me a cyborg because I'm using technology to augment my my existing capabilities? And then later, when we get digital glasses that have artificial reality uh, overlaying our view of the world, it doesn't really make you a cyborg. It's just you've been given extra tools with which to to interface with the world. You know, this this watch is is very much an example of that. Uh, but you know, I don't think that's a scary thing in itself. It's really when the technology is making its own decisions that we should be concerned. And uh, you know, if, if you have, yeah, robot cars, it's a good first example. It's, a, it's good because uh, a lot of effort has been put into making them safe. And there's not a lot that can go wrong with them. I think it's actually it's going to be a generally a good thing. But you know, it's something that you would be much more concerned about you know, the programming of a robot car than you would the programming of your, your wristwatch. Uh, so, you know, there's things to be concerned about, but I kind of look forward to more technology augmenting human powers. You know, I look forward to when I'm old, uh, I'm fairly old already, but when I'm very old, I look forward to having a car that will drive me around. I look forward to being able to visit restaurants in my robot car. Uh, I look forward to like if you know, my body starts to fail, having some kind of bionic augmentation of that body to help me do things like people who have trouble walking can have you know, bionic implants, bionic knees and things like that. Uh, these, these are, these are good things. And I don't think we should be afraid of them. My fear in it is that these luxuries is what the internet is. The internet is a luxury in a lot of ways have now become a requirement. And I don't think anybody really paid attention yeah. to it becoming a requirement where I see all these robots and these artificial enhancements start becoming more of a requirement where it's kind of like uh, the idea of the Luddite movement back in the day. People were afraid that if you got printing presses and all this, they were going to be out of the job and couldn't feed their families and rise up against, you know, to destroy these machines. It's in, in a sense, I mean, if you want to pay a, a McDonald's employee $20, 
or something an hour. Then you have a bunch of these employees asking for $20 an hour. Would it just be easier to pay one person $20 an hour to service all the robots to make your food? Like you start getting into an aspect where I don't want to push out human capabilities in a sense. Yeah, but I mean, do you, is it is it good that people work at McDonald's? Is you know, is that a good use of of people or a good uh, validation of their ex their existence? Sometimes I mean, I, the only option I, they have. I think I think a better uh, you know future would be the robots do all the work, and then humans can just do whatever they want. And there's there's this feeling I think that you know this kind of work ethic thing that people should have jobs and they should earn money, but but why? I mean, why do, why are people forced to earn money? Well, you're forced to earn money because you need to buy food and housing. But if we had robots making food and housing, it would be a fundamental shift in society. But it's something that in, in some ways is, is inevitable. Uh, unless you know, we have this some kind of societal collapse or some kind of big war or cataclysm, then things are going to keep progressing where people won't have to work. You know, just, there's no reason why we would want uh, people to work, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week in McDonald's. That's not a great thing. Nobody wants to do that. They, they're forced to do it because, like as you say, it's their only option. But uh, I think it would be great if there were there were more options and that uh, didn't involve being forced to work. Sounds a bit like I'm a communist, but I think it's it's more just the way the future is going. Like people had to work far longer hours in the past like when we, people were living off the land you know you'd have to get up in the, the crack of dawn and you'd have to like go out and milk the cows you'd have to go plow the fields and do this back-breaking work and now people get much easier work and we don't we don't complain that work is a lot easier now but why can't it be even easier still you know let's reduce the work week to like three days a week and but still have the same standard of living by by, by using robots i like that idea of like not having to work if you have robots to do the production for you um, I know a lot of people say like, oh, what well, I love where I work. It's like, yeah, but you would love it more if you didn't actually have to work there and feel like you were forced yeah. at times. Um, I, I really like that. But do you think they would like any that would that's going to happen? It just seems like there's another force out there that just wouldn't yeah. allow that to happen. It seems like keeping people exhausted at times to where you don't have time to really look up anything yeah. on the Internet or even turn on the TV. Well, it's a utopian idea. Uh, it's, you know, it's like what people have been thinking about would be the ideal future uh, for a long time is that the means of production becomes automated and isn't, isn't owned by anybody and no one actually needs to work because we've, we've, we've got machines to do it all for it and we can go out and learn to play the piano or, you know, go, go, uh, go out and have adventures in the wilderness or we can, we can start clubs to do things or, or we can, we can start, we could do our own work. Um, there's, there's a good series of science fiction books by Ian Banks called the culture series. And in it's, this is set in the far future, kind of a human like race and they coexist with, with artificial intelligence and robots. And the robots are like a, a billion times as intelligent as the people, but they basically do all the work and the humans, uh, get to do whatever they want to do, which it's a very interesting idea because it's like you have the freedom to do whatever you want, but then you've also got these kind of godlike machines uh, providing that for you. And I think a lot of people will be very uncomfortable with that and they wouldn't actually like to have everything provided for them. And I think some people feel that work itself is something that humans should do, that people feel that humans should have a job. And it, it's... It's and besides that, of course, there's the vested interests that we have 
they're like the big, uh, the rich people and the, the the corporations who just simply don't want to change because they don't want to have a, a new way of things working. So do I think it's going to happen? Uh, I think eventually, but not anytime soon. Uh, so you say anytime, not anytime soon, but then I'm like, they release a new iPhone every single year almost. So actually sometimes twice a year. So I, I get a little bit nervous, but I think it's just, you have to be productive into uh, what you would consider being productive. I mean, I don't think it necessarily yeah. has to be working, but like for me, for well, instance, I, I don't have a job. Oh yeah. You know, I, I, my, my robots did the work back in the day and they, they made me enough money to retire. Lots of people are retired. And it's not like you drop dead if you don't have a job. You, you find something to do that's that's interesting and uh, you know, possibly productive. But it, you know, lots of people don't even have jobs who are uh, you know poorer people who uh, you know who, who never never like uh, have a good education or whatever. But yeah, it's like what do you want out of what what should society be like? Is this this age old question? Like for all of human existence, we've never had the opportunity to do away with work because work of some sort has always been a requirement. So you used to have in some cultures um, a slave class or a serf class who did most of the work, and then a ruling class uh, who ha had more of a kind of a leisure time, who didn't really do very much work and did interesting things like art and whatnot. And we don't want people. We don't want slaves. We don't want serfs. We want everybody to be in the ruling class. They want the ruling class to be everybody in the entire world. And we want robots to do all the work. So I think it's... That's how iRobot starts, like, though. Like it, it, it's difficult because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a new thing. Like in human, in human history, could it actually work? If you have 10 billion people who have all this leisure and they just you have all the robots like farming for them, could it actually work? I don't know. I don't know. A lot of science fiction is, you know, society is still the same kind of dystopian ruling class and, and lower classes that it's always been, but with the addition of robots. Uh, so I'm not super uh hopeful about <laughs> this this everyone gets to be a, a a lord uh future but also with uh like your website and everything and also then what you do too it's i mean it's a that's like a job that's a hundred percent like a job the amount of work that you put into not only doing interviews it's like a hobby also, though yeah but you work yep. it's like me doing an episode a day that's 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 a little bit of a work sure. too but it's fun and we love it that's like you love doing your podcast as well as yeah. you love yeah. uh you know debunking conspiracy theories that's that's a job in its own. That's something that I would consider like, oh, I wish someone would pay you for that, but more of a sense of like where you don't have to sure. work and you can just do the things that you love. Yeah, it's like content creators. Most most content creators on YouTube don't make very much money, if anything. And yet they do it because they they enjoy creating things to share with other people. And then they have other people who watch their stuff and then they share with each other. Now, people can devote an immense amount of time to a, to a hobby. Uh, you know, people who are retired start making dollhouses or making model train sets and things like that. And, you know, they have a wonderful time doing it and they sometimes spend many hours a day doing it. And there's no reason why we have to be having some kind of, you know, grunt work in uh, fast food to, to be productive members or to be good members of society. We can do things like, like what you and I are doing right here having conversations that are interesting to other people. And we can do things like investigating UFO videos because it's, it's fun to me personally. And it's interesting to a few other people.
So, you know, I think, you know, if the world was more like a situation where everybody could do what they're actually interested in rather than what they are forced to do, it's difficult to see how we could get to that world, but it'd be great if we could. Plus, um, you're, I say you're, you're very positive, especially on Twitter as well, too. My cousin follows you and he says you've helped him debunk a couple of UFO videos because he's all into the UFO mm. stuff as well, too. And I'm like, that's what I like to hear, because as much as like I like the UFO community is pretty positive in some sense, but there's a lot of infighting. And I think you find that everywhere, which kind of makes it detract from like the main point of everything it seems you're it's like reality television you're seeing drama happen like new like jersey yeah. shore style things and i think it needs to be more open platform open communication between scientists researchers like yourself as well too well people like drama uh, it's kind of like this thing that's um you know it it, it exists because it's it, it it's entertaining to people not just entertaining it's like people can't help themselves they get into these these flame wars where they, uh, you know, they they get into a dispute with someone, or they see a dispute and they start watching it because it's entertaining. Like, and uh, this Jeremy has a fight with Phil, and uh, you know, these are two big people say in the UFO community, and they're having a big beef. Everyone's like, "Oh, get the popcorn out," uh, and because it's entertaining. <laughs> and uh, perhaps part of what uh, the dystopian future is going to be is just lots of these micro soap operas where these little cliques of people have these little dramas between various people and other people are just gathering around to watch. But, you know, that that's something that just naturally arises in ufology is it, that, the, you know, it's you get you get a group of people. If you have a knitting circle, there's going to be drama within the knitting circle. The, any type of group of people eventually has some kind of interpersonal drama and spectators of that drama. It'll be cool if the neurochip can like take that out of people, like no drama. <laughs> no drama. Yeah. Well, I don't know if uh, that's uh, what people are going to want to do, like change people's minds. Yeah. The neurochip implants in the brain, you know, it, it could be useful. It'd be like, I could, I could ask Google to look things up for me. I could uh, perhaps like think a lot faster, solve problems and things like that. But yeah, I, not sure i would want to be the one of the first people to do it you know if it's, it's something that's just like it's like it's a, the brain a, a telepathic brain. communicator oh the brain doesn't regenerate tissue so it's like you got to be very careful what you're putting near it yeah you got lots of spare tissue in there though it's like yeah. <laughs> you'll be, be fine <laughs> it's kind of like there used to be like a fear of like people having cell phones up to their head and it like it, your battery could explode and you hear all those like cases that came out like when yeah. phones were first coming out it's like that's where i get a little bit creepy you know i don't want to be the first person that gets that thing installed on their head but if you have a, a robot that you know is is a, a cool person to like talk with and he'll help me solve conspiracy problems and maybe we can take down disney together i don't know but it's a friendly guy. Yeah. A voice in your head. That would be interesting. Like you could actually sit there silently and you could be telepathically talking, not just to the robot in your head, but you could actually be having telepathic communications with other people. Because <laughs> the one I have now isn't implants. positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, people would have thought of you know, the, cell, the cell phone as being a form of telepathy because like, you know, I could have like a little earbud and I could be talking to people. But unfortunately, I had to move my, my lips and actually make noise. Imagine if you didn't actually have to do that. You could you could just think the thoughts and have your phone call with somebody via thinking. It could know, be not too far off in the future. I will say I know so many deaf people that would be so upset because they spent all that yeah. time trying to read lips, and now you can just think <laughs> it. But then they could have the brain the brain implants, and they they would be able to. But can you listen in on someone else's hear. conversation? I feel like that's the best part is when you're able to like look across Starbucks to some person always talking yeah. on their Bluetooth and just read their lips. 
Yeah, well, it's an interesting thing just around the corner. Brain implants, uh, I'll let other people experiment with them first, but yeah, it could be interesting in the future. Well, Mick, thank you so much for giving me some of your time. And um, where can people find you? They can find me on, uh, on Twitter at Mick West, or my website is metabunk.org. And that's where I do my uh, UFO investigations and debunking. Or they can email me, Mick at MickWest.com, if you've got any questions about anything you've heard today. And thank you for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for our next episode.